Hello and welcome to this Master Investor in Conversation with Sam Volkering. My name is Sarah Lother and Sam is the Investment Director and Head of Crypto at South Bank Investment Research and Editor of the Crypto Handbook, which we will be referencing. Now, Sam, I was thinking about you the other week because there was gentle yoga music was playing. I had a client on the couch getting his hamstring treated all was tranquil and then the Royal Mail postie banked on my window not realizing I had a client and she was Sarah Sarah and I thought oh my god what's happened does she need jump leads for a postie van so I rushed out client prone and she said Sarah what do you know about Bitcoin (laughs) my goodness and my answer was um it's been around longer than you think People have made and lost fortunes, and there's a book I'm going to give you, but I must get back to the couch. So, Sam, was my brief answer appropriate? Um, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a part of it. Um, it when when your post is banging on the on the window, demanding an, an answer to something, and you've literally got seconds, um, it's probably as good a job as you, as you could do for the time being. But um, you know, it's you're right. It's been around a long time. Uh, there has been money made and fortunes made, uh, fortunes lost, po- probably as well <laughs> along the way. Um, but this, when you when you talk about Bitcoin, um, and, and we'll no doubt talk about the wider crypto world, but when we look at Bitcoin specifically, this is a fundamentally a a game changing technology for the world. Um, but as I've always said, it's it's a new form of money. I think is the easiest way to describe what it is. So was Bitcoin the precursor of the digital asset ecosystem that exists now, or is it the enfant terrible, the black sheep? (laughs) You know, I've I've thought about this over the years because, look, the primary reason in, in my view, why Bitcoin even exists is because of the failings of central banks and governments around monetary and fiscal policy spanning back decades, well before Bitcoin even existed. I mean, if you look, a really good place to start for people that, that really don't quite understand what this is all about is the Bitcoin white paper. Um, which does go to some degree of explanation as to what Bitcoin is and why it exists. It also references a number of of, of research pieces and um, development, even going back into the 80s and the 70s, around an idea about a non-centralized digital currency. And that's, that's important because it is, you know, diametrically opposed to what central banks are all about. It is a a internet currency with no centralized controlling authority. The only thing that dictates how Bitcoin operates is its code and and, and maths really. And so that's, that in itself is a kind of like a monetary experiment really considering, you know, how central banks tend to operate and how the traditional financial system operates. So for me, Bitcoin is 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 very much um, an experiment, really, that is very much in its infancy um, about what money can be 
how it can be created and how it can have use and utility in the world. And that's, that's a powerful thing, really, when we, when we think about, you know, the, the power and control that traditional finance has in the world. And I've got examples, personal examples, that, you know, as long as my arm about how traditional finance doesn't work. Um, and, and I think that, that, you know, people just need to kind of take a step back sometimes and look at the bigger picture about maybe this is a much better way of looking at how we use money and how we can include people in finance. So you talk about it being an experiment and in its infancy. So therefore, would I be right in thinking, therefore, it doesn't affect me on a day-to-day basis. But at the same time, you've said it's, you know, it's a really good utility mechanism. So is it out there? Is it already in the ecosystem? And I might actually be using it already. I'm just not aware I am. Yeah, this is what's so great about it as well, is so that, that Bitcoin when you look at it, it's open source. So that means that anyone can come in and and use it. Uh, It means that anyone that wants to understand how it works can go and look at its code and can go and look at how it operates and then maybe try and build something for the Bitcoin ecosystem of a a payment network, a a wallet, some form of, of consumer facing application that integrates it. So, where a lot of like if you if you wanted to know how a managed fund was was set up and structured and or if you wanted to understand how stocks circulated around the world how markets interact with counterparties and custodians and all the traditional financial system if you want to know how that worked you'd never get a straight answer if you want to know how bitcoin works just go and look at look at its code and then you can you can go and check it out that that level of openness and transparency doesn't exist in traditional finance and that's a very powerful thing about bitcoin is the fact that anyone can go and tinker with it but then anyone can also go and own some hold some buy some sell some transfer some gift some receive some there is no there is no um, gatekeeper that says you can't do this Whereas if you want to go and participate in traditional finance, there's nothing but gatekeepers that say, actually, no, you can't do this until you give me 17 forms of identity. Prove where you live. Can I have your phone number? Can I have another phone number? Can you give me six bills that uh, are within six months just so I can open a account? The frustrations that traditional finance typically has uh, don't really exist when you look at something like Bitcoin. And that, again, is when I mentioned before, um, the ability to include people in finance. From the very outset of, of, of Bitcoin and its existence, going all the way back now, what are we going back 14 years? Um, anyone can, can do it. Anyone, you could be in, as long as you've got an internet connection, you could be somewhere in, in, in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in America. It doesn't matter. Anyone can go and get Bitcoin. Anyone can go and use Bitcoin. Um, and so it is, it is certainly something that, as I said, it is in its infancy. So you can't, you know, necessarily go down to your Tesco's and spend your Bitcoin on your weekly shop. But you also kind of can as well. <laughs> we, I, I try not to overcomplicate things, but there are, because of the open source nature of the technology itself, 
there are ways that you can use a payment card to spend your cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, for instance. Um, and, and a lot of that development, is, as I said, has really only taken place in the last 14 years. And if you really think about it, it's even more condensed than that. The, the development's really taken place over the last probably seven or eight, realistically. Um, and so that's exciting about, about this idea of a new form of money, a new digital asset that is inclusive for everybody without the traditional gatekeepers and middlemen and frustrations that traditional finance comes, uh, comes with. And that's, that's a powerful thing for the world. So the only, well, there's a few alarm bells, but you said there's no gatekeeper. So bearing in mind, there are lots of um, investors listening and listening to this and watching this. If there are no gate, gatekeepers, does this mean that Bitcoin and its peer group are not regulated? So therefore, it is a riskier asset than the others that uh, this audience might already be dabbling in. Yes, yeah, so it's a you you need to take a different mindset into this when you're looking at it from an investment perspective. And I should probably preface this with a lot of people try and pigeonhole Bitcoin into one thing. So they're like, oh, it's digital gold. Oh, it's like it trades like a stock. It's it's money. What it actually is is it's it's all of those things and 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 possibly other things as well. Property, time, energy. There's a lot of different arguments for what it actually is, but not a lot of people, I think, can get their head around the fact that it can be multiple things at once to different people. And so when we when we think about it in that sense, you have to take a different mindset. So, okay, your bank looks after your cash and sits it in an account for you and you can get access to it and there's protections in place there. Traditional finance is actually good for some things like that. With something like Bitcoin, predominantly you are the custodian of your own asset. So there is an element of, of self-responsibility that you take on when you look at an asset class like this and you want to have and hold and own Bitcoin. It means you need to look after it and you need to protect it. And, and you're right, there is no gatekeeper for that. And some people are a bit scared by that and some people don't necessarily think that that's a good thing. Um, but I tend to think that it is, is that's, that's, you know, power and control over your own financial situation, your own uh, investments, your own wealth. And, and that, is a, that is a pretty big change from how traditional finance tends to work. And so that comes with risk. No, no doubt that comes with risk. So, you know, you could lose access to it. You could um, forget about it. And there are some checks and measures in place that developers and innovations in this space have, have come over the years to help help with that and to look at protecting that. Um, but fundamentally, there is different risks when you're looking at this from an investment perspective, uh, be it, you know, people talk about price and volatility. Um, there's a bigger conversation probably to be had around that about we shouldn't necessarily be looking at it in terms of fiat currencies like the pound or the dollar or so forth. Um, ultimately, long term, I'm of the view that we will be talking about Bitcoin in a circular economy sense in terms of it becomes um, the, the denominator, so to speak, with trade and commerce and supply chains. It's a sort of a long way down the track still, but it's, it's a different mindset that you must take when you're looking at this from an investment and, a, and, a, and I guess a 
currency point of view or that self-responsibility. So um, this new ecosystem that that's probably going to develop, evolve into this circular economy you're talking about. Uh, so Bitcoin is part, just a small part of this ecosystem. So I'm going to jump now to the really big picture, which is the metaverse. So to me, that's like a, a fusion of um, Facebook meets Minecraft with lots of avatars that look suspiciously like the user. But that's the metaverse is so much more. I'm it's rather instead of Facebook's Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that we're taking a, a big leap in from something like Bitcoin to to the metaverse. I, I think what what we should when we talk about all of it, we talk about crypto and we talk about the crypto industry as a whole, and Bitcoin is a part of that, a large part of that. In, in terms of adoption and awareness and, and value when you convert it into fiat currencies. When you then look at something like the metaverse, I think you need to, again, look at it with the right kind of perspective. You know, the metaverse and cryptocurrency involved in the metaverse are not Bitcoin. They're not trying to be Bitcoin. They're trying to be something else to people. Fundamentally, and, and this is all stuff that, that I do cover in, in the book, is that the metaverse needs to be looked at more as a extension or evolution of how society interacts, how we communicate with each other, how we transact socially, economically, um, spiritually even. Um, so, and you can, you can draw parallels to ways in which we have communicated and, and innovations and development in communication and interaction in society, year, you know, going back years, be it, uh, radio or, and television and the internet and, you know, um, chat, chat things that we used to, you know, I remember when I was a, when I was a kid and, you know, MSN messenger and ICQ, or, you know, these chat, they, these, these are examples of metaverses, but this is just an evolution of. So when we talk about the metaverse in today's sense, a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the term web three and the metaverse gets bandied about a lot. Um, by marketing folk and the, the reality is it's just an evolution of how we are interacting. To, if you think about it, you and me right now are in a, a metaverse. It's just a metaverse for two and we're, we're using this as a communication platform. Now we could be also transacting economically. I could you know send you some crypto, some Bitcoin for instance and please do sorry. Please do. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is this is sort of the thing, right? Is that it seems weird to start with if it if it's something you're not used to. Um, but Facebook seemed weird when it first started, and 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 a lot of people were like, why would I why would I ever use Facebook? And it's it's evolved to become uh, its its own metaverse. And what they're doing is just an extension of what they already are. And the metaverse as one is there is no such thing as the metaverse. I mean, the internet is the metaverse. Um, but we will have lots of different metaverses that interact. And the idea is that with cryptocurrency, we can get some sort of base level platform that people can, can share. So you could be in metaverse A and you've got some sort of um, standard function that you can transfer wealth or assets from metaverse A to metaverse B or then to metaverse C and, and technologies that allow for that kind of 
transactive nature to take place, be it, you know, socially or, or you've got assets or you've got wealth or any other kinds of things that you can use. So it, you know, there's a, there's a, we're in a really early stage of people understanding what metaverses are, how they can work. Um, and it's, it's certainly not something that's going away. It's just that I think we kind of went through this early hype and buzz phase, you know, the, the Gartner hype cycle kind of thing. And then the realization will come that actually this could be a useful way for us to push forward technology and evolution of, of social interactions and communications. So two more questions. Another anecdote. Yesterday I was on a an, on a flight from France to to Luton, and um, the the ladies, the air hostesses, were um, were selling their food and refreshments, and they said, "I'm sorry, but we don't take cash. We don't take cash. It's contactless only, credit cards or you know tap with your phone." So I was thinking that is interesting, but it makes sense because of course money can be dirty, and we stopped using cash during lockdown but I was thinking and so it begins and so it begins so digital currencies digital assets it's it's happening it's here already yeah absolutely I mean you could you can wind back you know a, a decade even more uh this is this is something that's been in the works for a while and uh, you know I, I think about if if, if Bitcoin and crypto didn't exist, would we still be in this kind of state of, of digital assets and digital currency anyway? And, and my view is that we would be, but we just wouldn't have this alternative financial system sort of whirring away on the sidelines. I mean, if the central banks were good at what they did, uh, Bitcoin probably wouldn't exist um, and the world would be arguably a better, better state, but they are what they are and we are where we are. Um, but the move to digital cash, to digital assets, has been something that just inherently comes with the advancements in technology that we have. Um, you know, when you look, when you actually go to, you know, you can go to the Bank of England's website and you can see just how much cash, physical cash, is in actual circulation. And it's tiny. It's a tiny amount. From a percentage term, it's it's single digits. So I think it's like maybe 4% of physical cash is actually in circulation. So we're actually in a digital digital cash environment as we speak. You know, when you log into your, you know, Barclays or NatWest uh, banking app, you know, it, 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 your phone doesn't spit out, you know, cash and coins out the bottom of it, right? It's all ones and zeros. That is the world that we live in. Um, and the the move towards more digital assets is 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 inevitable. What cryptocurrencies help to do is to maybe open up the mind to think that maybe these assets don't need to be so centralized and so um, controlled by borders and times and you know operating hours and things like that. And for a number of years, you know, it, all what it forces you to do is forces you to think about the legacy systems that we have. You know, why do I have to trade my stocks during the market hours of the US? Why can't I trade my stocks outside of those hours? Who actually owns my stock? Do I own my stock? Where does my stock actually exist? There's there's a custodian, and then there's a you know there's a share registry, the company. Who? But if I wanted to hold you know a certificate in my hand, can I do that? Can you even do that with stuff? So there's these questions that it forces people to ask about traditional financial system, and go well is 
why is that? And can there be a better way of doing it? And this is where this evolution of digital assets is starting to head. And what people will start to hear a lot more about, I think, in the next 12 months is the tokenization of assets. And this, a simple way to think about it is if you go and buy, um, I use a massive company as an example, BHP. If you want to buy BHP stock, you jump onto your broker and you buy some stock because the, 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 the company is, you know, issues stock and capital and then public markets and it's a very complex system. If you're, a, if you're a new company, if you're an up and coming miner and you're thinking about going public, why wouldn't you tokenize your stock, the equity, so that you're not necessarily having to trade it on the London Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange or the Australian Stock Exchange. You can tokenize that asset and sell it through a crypto exchange. This opens up a whole nother conversation. So we could talk about this for hours about regulation and, and all these sorts of things, but that often gets in the way of innovation. And there are ways to do this with the right kinds of um, checks and balances and safety measures and, and, you know, ways to protect consumers without stifling it. So these are the sorts of conversations that are happening right now. Companies tokenizing their assets, funds tokenizing their assets, where and how things are exchanged and traded, where value exists, um, what money is, how currency can be used that isn't you know, issued by the central bank and controlled by the central bank. Um, these are all the conversations and, and, and developments that are taking place right now that people aren't aware of. All they see on the news is the price of Bitcoin going up and down and it terrifies them. Um, but this is a massive change in society, in finance, in industry. And people are, are still just kind of starting to wake up to the idea that there's a lot more to this wider crypto ecosystem than just the price of Bitcoin. And that's that's good as more people start to figure that out. You talk about conversations there. This is this is your book, the crypto handbook. Obviously, you know what it looks like. The crypto handbook edited by yourself. Lots of conversations with not just thought leaders, but practitioners, those who, you know, are involved with the ecosystem. It's beautifully written. What I'm still trying though to ascertain is how I make money. So very briefly, Sam, what's the process to invest and get the most out of the greatest returns from this, this ecosystem, the digital assets we've been talking about? There are, there are fundamentally two ways that you would make money out of cryptocurrencies. So you can buy and, and, and hold and own and sell and trade the crypto directly. So something, again, Bitcoin's a great example. You can you know, go to a, a, a major exchange like Coinbase. You can buy Bitcoin with the view of selling it at a higher price and making a profit. That's one way of doing it. There are also a huge number now of, of crypto-focused stocks available on public markets. Again, just as an example, I mentioned, you know, you could go to Coinbase, which is an exchange to buy and sell Bitcoin. It's also a publicly listed company in the US. So you can buy Coinbase stock. You can go and buy stock from Bitcoin miners and their their sole job is mining Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's there are exchanges, there are companies that hold Bitcoin on their balance sheets. Uh, there are fintechs that are looking to develop uh, new innovations around the crypto industry. So there's a lot of 
stocks on the London Stock Exchange and the you know, American Stock Exchanges in Australia, Asia, Europe, all over the place that allow you to kind of invest in the crypto ecosystem and everything that's happening in there without holding direct crypto assets. So those are kind of the two ways that you would really look at this wider market, the crypto market directly, and then also the public markets where there are crypto focused stocks that you can invest in. There are also an, an emergence of, of funds. There are some ETFs in Europe that are available that allow you to invest in the ETF that give exposure to to the to Bitcoin that are that are hundred percent backed by Bitcoin. There's a lot of talk at the moment about US ETFs and Bitcoin spot ETFs in the US, but they're already available in Europe. People just for some reason get really excited about the US and nowhere else. <laughs> Probably not a great surprise. So there are there are a lot of different ways that you can invest in this market, depending on your risk tolerances and, and what you're happy with taking on and whether you want to stick with the more traditional financial ways of doing things or you want to invest directly in crypto. It's, there's a lot, and, and that's great. That's exciting. That shows a, a world, an ecosystem that is developing and expanding and growing and providing opportunities for people. Many thanks, Sam. I think I'll just, I think I'll start off by accepting that cryptocurrency that you were offering me <laughs> during the interview. A great place to start for anyone, if you are starting, is to, is to read the book. And, and I mean that, and that's why we've made the ebook free. So, you know, anyone, anyone can download the ebook for free because it's important to understand and educate yourself on, on what's going on here. That's lovely. You're, you're a great evangelist and a, a great philanthropist as well, allowing so many people to access all of this intelligence. Sam Volkring, it's been an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed you when um, I hosted the panel that you were on in the Master Investor show. And uh, of course, there's Master Investor next year as well. So hopefully I will entice you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Master Investor. For more investment and economics analysis, please visit masterinvestor.co.uk.